The following is an Auburn Network production. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika sports leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy November. It is November 1st, 2023. How crazy is that? That we are into the month of November, uh, the final regular season month of college football, and also it's the start of college basketball. We have exhibition games going on, Auburn basketball in an exhibition game tonight. We're going to talk about that as they take on AUM, Auburn University Montgomery, over at Neville Arena at 7 o'clock. And so we'll talk about some of the uh, expectations, what we may see, uh, and all that good stuff as they prepare to play Baylor next Tuesday for their season opener. So basketball going on, football going on. We're going to talk about both of those things today here during On the Line on ESPN 106.7. I'm your man Jacob Goins for the next two hours right here on the Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. It is Wednesday, which makes it Rivalry Wednesday, and we're going to have both of our uh, rival uh, sports writers on the show, as we do each and every week. Jordan Hill from Dogs247, our Georgia beat writer, will join us at 2.30. He'll give us all the updates on the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, football and basketball, Uh, lots of basketball updates recently from Georgia. So we'll be talking to him about that. And then, of course, the big football matchup for the Dogs this weekend uh, and a chance to really take hold of the SEC East. So we'll talk to him about that coming up at 2.30. Then at 3.30, we'll talk to Austin Hannon of Bama Central, our Alabama beat writer, who is coming off of a bye week, Alabama taking on LSU this weekend. Uh, So we will have both of those guys on the show today, Jordan Hill at 2.30 and Austin Hannon at 3.30. And I mentioned already how we're going to talk a little Auburn basketball today. We're going to talk a little Auburn football today. Should be a great show. And outside of our two guests, the phone lines are open. I want to hear from you. What's on your mind on a Wednesday afternoon as we get into the month of November How excited are you for Auburn basketball? I know tonight's an exhibition, and I know that it's not on TV anywhere. Um, It's it's not on the radio. It is on uh, through the Auburn Sports Network on their stream. Um, So it's not being broadcasted super, super wide, um, but it is an exhibition tonight. And it's the first time besides some practice time that we get a real chance to see this team in action. And I'm really excited about them. I've talked about this team a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but man, basketball season is literally here. And um, I'm just so excited about it. I love basketball. College basketball is, is, is one of my favorites. And I'm really excited about this Auburn team. And so let's talk about that. I want to hear from you. Uh, What are your expectations for this Auburn basketball team? I know we've been in football mode for so long and we're still going to talk about football, of course. 
But with the exhibition tonight, I did want to talk a little basketball. So call in about that. If you want to talk football, we can absolutely do that as well or anything else. We have playoff rankings that were released last night. We got to talk about those today. I mean, we have a lot to go over in the next two hours. So give me a call. I want to hear from you. You can be a part of the show and be on the line. 334-321-1390. That's the number to get you through to me. Give me a call. Let's talk it out here on a Wednesday afternoon. Well, as I mentioned, Auburn taking on AUM, uh, Auburn University Montgomery tonight in an exhibition at Neville Arena. Tip-off is at 7 o'clock. I will be there and uh, excited to see this team play another team. They had a close scrimmage uh, over the weekend, performed really, really well, and um, there is some really, really good talent on this team, and I've talked about that before, but you look at some of the guys that are coming back for this Auburn team. KD Johnson, Jalen Williams, Trey Donaldson, Jani Broom, who is going to be one of the best centers in the SEC, if not one of the best players in college basketball. Chris Moore coming back for Auburn as well. Lior Berman, who I know... Some people laugh at that. He's a grad student, but Leor Berman has been putting in some serious time and minutes, especially down the stretch last year. So Dylan Cardwell as well. So those are big names that are coming back for this Auburn basketball team. Then you look at the guys that Auburn has brought in, either through the transfer portal or as freshmen. Chaney Johnson, Adarin Scott, right? You look at uh, Denver Jones, Chad Baker-Mazzara, and Aiden Holloway, of course, the five-star stud freshman from North Carolina. Auburn has a good mixture here of young talent, older talent, returning guys, and also new faces. And it seems like your rotations are going to be pretty good. And it seems like to me that this is going to be another deep team for Bruce Pearl, who we know likes to play nine or ten guys if he has that ability to do so. And we've seen in years past where Auburn's been able to do that, and when you go to the bench, there's not a whole lot of drop-off. And I think that's something that a lot of teams in college basketball are trying to do. And it's really hard to do what Kentucky tries to do and run five freshmen out there every time and just hope those five freshmen are just more talented than everybody and win basketball games. Looking at the guys coming back, take KD Johnson, right? I expect him to have significant minutes. I expect him to come off the bench. I think that's where he really performs his best when he comes off the bench and is not in that starting role because He's a high-energy guy. I think he's getting better shooting the basketball, and he knows what it takes to compete in the SEC, and he's somebody you can trust when you go to the bench, when you have to put Aiden Holloway or Trey Donaldson or Denver Jones on the bench if they're in foul trouble or just need a couple of minutes to take a rest. You can trust that KD Johnson's going to come in, and you're not going to lose any effort. You're not going to lose any energy, and we're hoping that he continues to get better shooting the basketball like he did at the end of last year and can be a reliable scoring option, shooting the ball and getting to the rack. We know about Jalen Williams, who is 
one of the best athletes on the team, if not the best athlete. Bruce Pearl has talked about that. And the biggest thing with Jayla Williams, we got to get this guy a little confidence. We got to get Jayla Williams to realize just how good he is. And it's something that we talked about all last season is, man, if Jayla Williams could get a little fight in him, he could be one of the best players in the country. And I think not having as much expectations on him and not having to rely on him as much in the scoring aspect, I think it's going to open that up a little bit for him and allow him to play a little bit more free because there are other scoring options on this team, right? There are other guys that Auburn can go to, like Jani Broom, who is going to be your starting center. And again, I think he can be one of the best centers in all of the SEC and in all of college basketball. And he got really, really close when he tested the NBA waters. We know that's what he's focusing on. We know that's what he ultimately wants to do. And he has a really good chance in this year, 2023, in 2024, he has a great chance to put his skills on display once again after going farther than I think any of us thought he would when testing the NBA draft waters. He has a chance to be really special, and I think he will be in a non-guard spot. He'll be your go-to option on offense, and he's going to be a huge factor on the defensive end of the floor as well being 6'10", 240 pounds. I like Chris Moore coming back as well. He's going to give you some senior leadership. He's a solid player off the bench. He's not going to come in and drop 20 or 30 on you. But he's disciplined. He's got the experience. He's been at Auburn for a long time. And again, like Katie Johnson, I think that's a guy you go to off the bench when you need somebody to step up and step into a role, and you can trust him to do that and hold his own. You also look at Trey Donaldson. And if you listened to this show last year during basketball season, I have raved and raved and raved about Trey Donaldson and how good Trey Donaldson was and how good he was going to be. And I think you can hear that when Bruce Pearl talks about Trey Donaldson as he has over the last couple of weeks. And I think you're going to see that with Trey Donaldson coming up this season, who is not going to be your starting point guard more than likely. That's probably going to go to Aiden Holloway, which we got to talk about that. There's a situation there. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Trey Donaldson is a superstar, man. He's athletic. He's got great court vision. His handles are good and getting better. And at the end of the year, I know he didn't shoot it a lot, but man, when he did, it went in. Remember his three-point shooting in the NCAA tournament? It was really, really good. And if he can do that consistently and then maybe step up just a hair on the defensive side of the floor, because he is a little undersized, but he's physical and athletic, man, I love Trey Donaldson. And again, if you've listened to this show, you know that. And he's going to have a huge role on this team at the point guard spot because of Aiden Holloway as a freshman, right? I've said this a lot about him. I think he's going to have some freshman tendencies. Right, I think he's going to make some really, really incredible plays that freshmen are not supposed to make. And I think he's going to make some plays where you go, okay, he's a freshman in college basketball. Let's give him a little time. But having somebody like Trey Donaldson behind him, who does have a little college experience, and will push him to get better because I think he will constantly 
Trey Donaldson, that is. I think he will constantly be pushing Aiden Holloway for that starting point guard spot. That will make Aiden Holloway that much better. Who, again, he is going to be just an absolute show on the floor is Aiden Holloway. And then uh, I don't think I mentioned uh, Dylan Cardwell, who's coming back as well. And we know what Dylan Cardwell is. Fan favorite, high energy. He's not going to score a whole lot, but he's going to grab some rebounds. And every now and then he's going to have a big dunk and get Neville Arena going absolutely berserk. So he's always a good one off the bench as well. More people in the transfer portal that I'm really, really excited about. And we're going to talk about those in just a second. Let's get to the phone lines, though. 334-321-1390. And Jones, you're on the line. Hey, Jacob. How you doing? I'm good, man. What's on your mind? Well, you know, I, I love to talk basketball, but I'm always better after I watch them play a few games. Yep. Because right now I'm, I'm having to plead ignorance. So I would, uh, I'd rather stick to football. For okay, go seconds. for it. You know, there's a few of us regulars, uh, and I really enjoy the calls from Specter and Terry, and and uh, from the from the two o'clock to six o'clock show, and the two different shows you and, and then Bill Cameron. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just look back on quarterback situation. Not to be redundant, but I want to talk Specter off the ledge because it seems to really bother him that he's not feeling that Robbie has had a chance. And mm-hmm. I'm one of the callers that said Robbie's had a complete sample size, and if he would understand when we got. Uh, the guy that two-year starter that now plays for Denver, I guess it is. Uh, his name escapes this old fella. But, um, uh, are you talking the, Jarrett Stidham? Yeah. When Jarrett Stidham came into play, he didn't look over his shoulder, and he made a few blunders, if you recall, yeah. throughout the seasons. But he didn't look over his shoulder. I think what's, what Peyton Thorne has now happened to him, I think he is going to be like a, uh, an engine going down the track. He, he's not going to have to look over his shoulder. I think he's going to have the support of the coaches, the team, offense and defense, and the support of the fans. We love Robbie Ashford. I personally just love the guy. I wish he would take some film on Travis Hunter and and look at – because I think Robbie could play both. I think, I think Robbie could light you up as a safety. I think he'd be a great uh, slot receiver. He's not going to want to hear that. Mm-hmm. He can also come back in the spring and try to win the quarterback position. But if he really wanted to step up and look down the road at what his future holds as a human being, he would get very mature, stand in front of that locker room and say, guys, I'm an Auburn guy through and through. I'm a teammate, and I'll do whatever it takes. Coach, play me somewhere else. They may not do it because they don't want to hurt their backup. Bottom line is you certainly would, to to me, would capture so much positivity amongst all the fans, players, coaches, et cetera, a la Cody Burns. Right. And I'm not telling him he needs to do it, but I want to get back to Spectre, my point about him, Spector, Robbie's had a sample size. Peyton Thorne's Auburn's quarterback. Man, you need to learn to love it and quit analyzing why Robbie didn't get a sample size or a fair shake or whatever because he has. And others that call your show agree with me. I think Mark said it the other day, and, of course, I think Terry feels that way. And, of course, I wish more folks would call in the show that have a either a, you know, a uh, different point of view than mm-hmm. I have and maybe have some uh, complete – honest-to-God dialogue, because I think, Jacob, you've got really good rebuttal. I think you've got good insight, so you don't need me to fight the battles. But when they call in and you have a, a maybe a different viewpoint, mm-hmm. I appreciate the way you project it, whether it be to me or others, because I think it's very healthy. Well, anyway, I appreciate love that. the show. I want to hear more from others. Call in the show, and let's see what all of you think. And after Auburn has a few TV games and basketball, mm-hmm. we will have that dialogue as much as you want that today. 
I can't give you any insight other than more damn eagles. Yes, sir. I appreciate that, Jones. Appreciate the, the call and, and appreciate those kind words as well. Um, yeah, when it comes to basketball, I'm really just kind of breaking down the roster and what what we can expect to see tonight. It's an exhibition game, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. And again, it doesn't does it matter? No, technically not really. Um, but it's just the first time we get to see the team. And then they open up with Baylor, which is going to be a really, really tough game out of the gate. But Jones, I think you've got a couple of interesting points. And let's see. Let's get to break. Let's get to break. We'll take our first one. I can address all of those comments when we come back. Would love to hear if anybody agrees with Jones, disagrees with him, agrees with me, disagrees with me, because that's what this show's about. Call in. I want all the perspectives, and I am open to everything. I'm going to give you my point of view and give you my opinion. Doesn't mean you have to agree with me, and I want to hear from you. And, and if you agree with him or not, give us a call, 334-321-1390. We're talking Auburn basketball, but we could talk Auburn football too, of course. It's still football season. We haven't forgotten that. We'll talk about all that when we come back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, back inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line Rivalry Wednesday as we will get rolling with that in just a couple of minutes when Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joins us at 2.30. I want to address what Jones was saying there before uh, we went to break. He called in and was talking about the the whole Peyton Thorne-Robbie Ashford continued conversation um, and was reflecting and responding to what Spectre had called in about yesterday. And Spectre was saying how he still believes that Robbie has not had a true fair shake at the starting quarterback spot and, and still believes he deserves a shot at that. And I totally understand that. And I totally get that. And and that's uh, Spectre's been a Robbie guy for a long time. And I totally understand why. And I think there was a time this season, just a couple of weeks ago, where that was the best option where Auburn in this in this offense just could not do anything with Peyton Thorne and they were switching in and out of quarterbacks and doing that whole mess right and I said here on this show I said for Auburn's offense to have the best chance to move the football score and give Auburn a chance to win at the time Robbie was the best option because with Peyton Thorne he wasn't moving the ball but receivers weren't getting open and he was being subbed in and out constantly, and they were trying to do too much and too difficult of plays on offense. And so nothing with Peyton Thorne was working, and the only thing that did was when Robbie Ashford was in, and he brought in the running threat before Jarquez Hunter took off and when Demari Alston was still hurt. Like There was just things happening where it made sense for it to be Robbie Ashford. But then you see at the end of the Ole Miss game, and then against Mississippi State, it just seemed to click a little bit for this offense, did it not? With Peyton Thorne in, an offensive line that protected him enough, receivers that had simple routes that got open, caught the football, and those simple routes led to simple reads for quarterback Peyton Thorne, who went 20 of 26 on Saturday and had three touchdowns. I don't know why you would switch from that now 
that it's working. Plus, Jarquez Hunter is playing his best football this year. So you don't have to worry about, you're you're not worried about running the ball right now because you're doing it effectively. And so, with Robbie, I think he's had his chances. Has he gotten just a full, here you go, this is your team, your game, Peyton Thorne's not going to touch the field once? No, he hasn't had that this season. But in what times when Robbie's been in the game, which it's been in weird spots, and I agree with Spectre in that point where the whole switching out of quarterbacks, I think everybody can agree, was a disaster, and I didn't like it. But in those times that Robbie Ashford was in, what did he show you that he's gotten better in the passing game? But then to kind of, and I'm kind of I'm playing both sides, and I hate to be this way, but I'm just kind of going on both discussions here and both arguments. When Robbie was in the game, they weren't calling a whole lot of passing plays for him. So I understand that side of it as well, but there's probably a reason for that. Right? Robbie Ashford, when he comes in the game, everybody on both sides of the football, on both sidelines, in the stands, on the TV, behind the radio, everybody knows what's happening when Robbie Ashford gets subbed into the football game. He'll throw it every now and then. But there's about a 95% chance he's going to run or Auburn's keeping the ball on the ground somehow. And there's a reason for that. If he had gotten better as a passer and better as a quarterback, he could have had the chance to beat out Peyton Thorne who transferred in. And if he had gotten better, you never would have had to gone and get Peyton Thorne in the transfer portal. Right? And so, I like Robbie and I think there's a role for him somewhere But if Auburn goes up to Vanderbilt on Saturday and hangs 40 on him like they should, and Peyton Thorne has another great day with an 80% completion percentage, multiple touchdowns and no interceptions, and Auburn runs away with it in the first half again, why would you take him out? Why would you replace him? Maybe it has clicked. Maybe everything is starting to come together after the Mississippi State game. And it is just one game. And it very well could just go right back to what we were. If Auburn struggles offensively against Vanderbilt, we're right back to square one. Right back at this conversation. But until that happens, it's got to be Peyton Thorne. There's no other reason. There's no other option that makes sense right now. And again, my answer has changed throughout the weeks because of the situations that Auburn has been in. And right now it's Peyton Thorne. And I think from here on out it should be unless they just regress horribly over this past week, which I don't think they will. And again, it comes back to the level of competition Auburn's going to be playing against Vanderbilt, against Arkansas, and against New Mexico State. That regression should not happen. And at that point, for the rest of this season and for the seasons to come, I don't know where Robbie Ashford fits as a starting quarterback on this team. I just don't see it. If he wants to be at Auburn, if he wants to be here, he can find another way. If not, I don't think he's going to be here. And if you remember, I said in the offseason and before the season started, I didn't think Robbie would take another significant snap at the starting quarterback spot. And I don't know if I've been completely wrong I know he started a game and he's got plays and he has packages like Hugh Freeze has told us. But he hasn't just been the guy. 
And I don't think he will be the guy. Because I just don't think he's got it. Not here. Not at this school. Not in this league. I think he could somewhere else. And I think he could do it in maybe another position. But there's a reason you go and get somebody like Peyton Thorne. And there's a reason that Robbie has not been named the starter as we're here in the month of November. Has it been the most absolute fair shot to him? No, I guess not. But at this point, what is changing your quarterback going to do in November? At this point, you are who you are. You, I mean, this team is what they are, right? You can continue to get better, but you're not going to make such a significant jump by putting Robbie Ashford in where we're all like, yep, should have done it two months ago. I just don't, I don't see where that happens. Great conversation so far today talking basketball and football for Auburn. But when we come back, Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 will join us, our Georgia beat writer here on Rivalry Wednesday. We'll talk Georgia basketball and football when we come back here on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into our number one here on the Rivalry Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. And as we always do on Rivalry Wednesday, we welcome in Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, our Georgia beat writer. Jordan, great to hear from you, man. We've got all sorts of talk, things to talk about with basketball and for football uh, two weeks in a row for the Dogs. I know this is uh, crazy. I'm, I'm pinching myself to see if I'm dreaming, and, and it's good news on the men's <laughs> basketball front. That's not yeah. always the case. No, it hasn't been the case the last couple of years, and I do want to start there. Uh, last time we talked to you, uh, Georgia picked up a big basketball recruit. They were in on another one yesterday. Uh, tell us about what's going on with this Georgia basketball program where Mike White seems to be uh, building a little momentum over there in Athens. Definitely. Got uh, five-star Asa Newell last week, which was a big win. And then on uh, Tuesday night, uh, get Jacob Wilkins. Uh, and if that name sounds familiar for anyone who uh, follows Georgia men's basketball, Dominique Wilkins' son. Uh, he, we have him listed at 6'7", but Dominique was talking on the Hawks pregame the other day, said he's closer to like 6'10 or 6'11". Holy so, smokes. I, yeah, he's, he's just a junior in high school. He's a four-star um, out of Grayson High School in Georgia. So pick Georgia over Virginia. Kind of uh, odd. Uh, this is the second recruit that Georgia has beaten out for Virginia in the last few cycles. They got Blue Kane, a, a shooting guard, uh, back in the spring, who was uh, Virginia very much wanted him. Uh, so, yeah, things are trending in the right direction for Georgia in recruiting. Um, you know, you've got Asa Newell. There's a couple of other forwards that they're pushing really hard to try to land. In the 2024 cycle, uh, Kanai Ruth, uh, Darian Reed. Uh, Darian was going to announce on Saturday night, and it really sounds like it's either Alabama or Georgia, and uh, he decided he's going to take a little bit more time. So Georgia's done a very good job. Things are trending in the right direction. They had an exhibition on Monday, and I was very, very impressed with what I saw. A pretty comfortable win. I believe it was 99-82 to over a pretty good Eastern Kentucky team, an Eastern Kentucky team that 
I was a CBI runner-up this past season. So things are trending in the right direction, and uh, they're going to be challenged on Monday, though. They're going to Vegas to play the Oregon Ducks. I think uh, we should learn quite a bit about this team and uh, get a good feel for what we're going to be expecting the rest of the way. Yeah, I want to have a couple of more questions basketball-wise before we get to to football. It just seems like the recruiting for Georgia basketball has really just exploded onto the scene. Um, what are, if you can tell us anything, what are the recruits saying, and what are these, what are people saying about this Georgia basketball program and head coach Mike White? I mean, where where has this come from? Where all of a sudden, not just recruits, but big time recruits are really interested in Georgia and are committing to play for for Mike White. Well, I think a big piece of it, especially with this 2024 class, it's, it's sort of a Pied Piper effect. You start with Asa Newell, uh, who grew up in Athens, so I think there was a piece of that. His older brother, uh, Jaden, is a walk-on on the team, so I think that that was kind of appealing. But what we've heard from some of these recruits is that you know they're really selling a vision of what Georgia basketball can be. I'll give an example, uh, you know, looking at the team that they've got right now, uh, one of the guards, Silas Demery Jr., uh, that they picked up in the spring, who was initially committed to USC. Uh, he found out that one of USC's veteran guards was going to come back for another year. He reopened his commitment, and he talked about you know when the Georgia staff took their uh, in-home visit with him uh, during the spring. He said you know they laid out the plan for how he can fit in the program, the role he would play. And he said, you know, it, it really hit home to him. He said his mother cried at, you know, sort of the vision they laid out for him and, and what they sold him and what he could do as a Bulldog. Uh, so I think a lot of credit is due to Mike White, his assistants, Eric Pastrana, Akeem Mistine, Antonio Reynolds-Dean. I, I think that they understand that, you know, Georgia men's basketball has been in a good position to, at the very least, contend. And, you know, it's just sort of been – a program that could never get itself in order. And there's been those moments, you know, Mark Fox had a few tournament appearances, Tom Crean, you got to give him credit for getting uh, Anthony Edwards and and bringing him in. And and they had some talent. Uh, They just couldn't get everybody to stay in the program. Eventually all went in the portal. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is they're selling a vision and they have an idea for what they want this program to become and they got a big one with Asa Newell, and I do think that at least one other four-star, five-star caliber player is going to follow suit and uh, make this recruiting class a very, very good one for Bulldogs. Well, while recruiting has been, uh, it's been on fire recently for Georgia basketball and still uh, looks to be continuing that way over the next few weeks, the Bulldogs get in action uh, on Monday. You mentioned them going to Las Vegas to take on Oregon. This non-con schedule for the Bulldogs, man, I mean, this this is brutal. This is, this is I believe, the first time I've looked at the entire non-con schedule and Oregon, Wake Forest, Miami, Winthrop, Florida State, Georgia Tech. I mean, they're not messing around, man. You're going to find out exactly what this Georgia basketball team is very, very early in non-con play. Definitely, and also they'll play either Kansas State or Providence as part of that trip where they're playing Miami. So, yeah, you know, we talked to Mike White in the preseason, and he said that the goal was for the non-con to be kicked up a notch or two compared to last season, and I think that's undeniably so. Uh, Non-con was not very good last year. Uh, You know, played a lot of weak teams. A lot of teams 
um, that wound up making coaching changes after the past season. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to be challenged right out of the gates. It sounds like that's something that they're really uh, approaching and, and looking at in a positive manner. Uh, something that I do think will benefit this team is that they've been together for quite a bit, having gone to Italy over the summer, gotten to spend, I guess, two or three weeks uh, overseas and getting to kind of play together and get a feel for each other. So, yeah, they, they have no choice but to hit the ground running. And I'm, I'm especially really curious with how they do against that ACC competition. You know, I think the ACC is coming off uh, what would be fair to say was a down year, but mm-hmm. some of those programs I think are really interesting. I mean, look at Wake Forest, the fact that they beat Alabama in that exhibition the other day. Um, there's going to be some really good competition, and Georgia's going to have to win their share of these games if they're going to have a shot at making the postseason, whether that's the NIT or the actual tournament. Uh, they're going to have to win some of these games. So it's going to be very fascinating to see how they do. Well, I would like to see Georgia get back to being a competitive basketball program. I don't know if many of my listeners and Auburn fans would say the same thing, Jordan, but um, I, I would I would like to see Georgia get back into competing in the SEC. And, of course, Auburn and Georgia basketball play twice this season. Uh, they play twice in about a two-and-a-half-week span, first in Athens on February 24th and then in Auburn to finish out the regular season on March 9th. And so we'll see what Georgia uh, starts out and what they look like when they start with Oregon uh, on Monday, November 6th. We're talking with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, our Georgia beat writer who joins us every week for Rivalry Wednesday here on ESPN 1067. Flipping gears to football because it is still football season, Jordan. I'm having to remind people it is still football season, and I know they haven't forgotten about that over in Athens. A big one coming up this weekend, but we've got to recap what has happened last week for Georgia football. What can you tell us about this program? Program, uh, and where they are right now heading into a big one this weekend. Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement. 8-0 on the season. I think that uh, everyone was watching to see how they would respond in Jacksonville after having lost Brock Bowers a couple weeks ago uh, to that ankle injury. And, you know, all uh, all systems clear and all tests passed. You know, they give up a touchdown on Florida's opening drive and proceed to score 36 unanswered points. You know, it was a very dominating performance, very strong performance for Carson Beck, who admitted he had some nerves uh, going back home. He's from Jacksonville, uh, but played very, very well. Run game looked good. Um, Defense, probably the best pass rush that they've shown in four quarters of football. Uh, Played really, really well. Had a block punt that uh, resulted in a safety so I think there's real excitement. I think they understand they're getting ready for a real challenge this week. Um, I think everybody sees what Eli Drinkwitz has done this season, especially with the offense. I mean, Brady Cook and those guys have made a lot of plays. I think the Georgia defense understands that they're going to be challenged and that the secondary has got to step up and make plays. Uh, it does help them that it's going to be at home. I imagine this is going to be a very excited Sanford Stadium. It's been about a month since they've had a home game, thanks to a few of those road games uh, in the bye week during the month of October. So a lot of excitement around this game, but uh, the Bulldogs understand they got to show up ready to go, and uh, they better be ready to play. A Missouri team that is probably the biggest threat right now to win the SEC Well, you can feel free to disagree, but I feel like the game with Georgia and Florida, there was a ton of people uh, picking Florida to hang around in this game. Probably not win, but there were a lot of people that thought Florida could, could really compete with Georgia and uh, this was a really good chance and a really good showing for Georgia to come out and sort of remind people hey 
We are the two-time national champs in back-to-back. We are an undefeated team and number one at the time. We'll talk about that in just a second. But it just seemed like it was a, a good chance for Georgia to remind everybody, hey, we're still the Georgia Bulldogs. Definitely, and I think it was a good case of being able to see. You know, I think on the most part, people understood that uh, Brock Bowers wasn't the be-all, end-all, and, and still recognizing he he's the best player, and you know, he's such a special player. But he wasn't all Georgia had, and I don't think that any Georgia player took that as a slide or anything like that. But they just went out and showed that you know, they still got a whole lot of talent. You know, I thought Lad McConkey probably had his best game of the season. It seems like he is finally making progress from that back injury. We talked to him on uh, Tuesday night, and he said that he's feeling good two days of practice coming off of that Florida game. He said the bye week was really big for him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was going to be a game where Georgia won, but Florida covered uh, that spread. And, uh, you know, I thought early on that Florida opens it and drives right down the field and scores. And Georgia just tightened up and decided that was enough of that. You know, I think Georgia deserves a lot of credit. Uh, as we had mentioned in the lead-up to this game and said this uh, plenty of times elsewhere, uh, that weird things happen in Jacksonville. And sometimes teams that aren't quite as talented as the one they're facing uh, either just hangs around, won't go away, or straight up wins the thing. And Georgia made sure that wouldn't happen. I do think that they deserve a lot of credit for that. You couldn't say you'd be shocked if they had come out on that game, especially on offense, and maybe sputtered for a quarter or two, you know, not having Brock Bowers. But that wasn't the case. It was like they settled for a field goal in their very first drive, and from there I want to say it was three straight touchdown drives. So uh, they uh, really passed all the tests in Jacksonville, and uh, now they're setting up for a pretty uh, pretty interesting stretch of games with Missouri, then Ole Miss at home, uh, then going to Tennessee, and, and then going to Georgia Tech, a Georgia Tech team that uh, just keeps finding ways to win. It's, it's been pretty uh, interesting to watch uh, from afar uh, how the Yellow Jackets yeah we we talked about last week the stretch that georgia is entering right now with missouri this weekend Ole miss next weekend and then on the road in knoxville and according to the new playoff uh, rankings that came out for the first time this season yesterday those are all top 20 matchups and the bulldogs have been the number one team this season but ranked at number two in the first initial playoff rankings quickly jordan just your thoughts on that is that sort of where people thought they were going to be and do you agree with Georgia being behind Ohio State yeah you know that was my guess was that they would be at number two and I think that was a pretty good feel for what I've heard from other people that they didn't think they would be the number one team uh, if anyone wondered if Kirby Smart is going to lose any sleep over that uh, fear not uh, he said doesn't feel slighted it is what it is uh, quote we've gotten really comfortable with not paying attention to it uh, being the playoff rankings the last three or four years uh, no, I, I think that that's fair. I think you do have to give Ohio State credit uh, for beating Notre Dame, for beating Penn State. Um, and especially at this point in the year, I think you're going to be measured by the wins you have uh, and the success you've had to this point. So I think it's totally fair for Georgia to be number two. And as I really stress to people on our message board, uh, you know, as long as Georgia takes care of business, it's not going to have to worry about where it's ranked. If Georgia wins out, they will be the number one team. I feel pretty good about that just based on what's left on the schedule and what that would mean as far as winning the SEC title game. Um, so really the biggest shock I had uh, was seeing Michigan at four. Uh, I guess Michigan was actually three and then Florida State. I thought mm-hmm. Florida State would get a little bit more credit for that win over LSU. And, uh, you know, I think Washington's got 
a more impressive win on its resume than Michigan having beaten Oregon. But um, as I really stressed to people yesterday talking about it, um, what what happens this time of year with the rankings does not matter. Tennessee was the number one team this time last year in the initial rankings. Didn't wind up making the playoff. Um, you, know, it, you definitely want to be up there, um, but it's all about taking care of business in these next uh, four or five games and, and trying to set yourself up for a big postseason. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 on us on the show uh, here in in Auburn on ESPN 106.7. This weekend, Georgia and Missouri. Missouri playing some of the best football in the SEC right now, Jordan. I think everybody would say that. This game is in Athens. That definitely helps Georgia. There's no doubt about it. And this game could set up to be winner goes on to win the SEC East. This is by far the biggest game of the year so far for Georgia. Could be one of the biggest games of the year in the SEC. Your takeaways and just what has to happen this weekend for Georgia to stay undefeated and avoid an upset against a talented Missouri team. I think the biggest thing is going to be Georgia's secondary showing up ready to go. You know, I think that this is a Missouri offense that's really uh, dangerous, really potent, and you know the the, the biggest player to me is going to be Tyke Smith, Georgia star. I think he's going to be asked to cover Luther Burden, who I think is going to be looking for a big game. And you know, I think that there's got to be a piece of Missouri that wants to show out because they're they're playing Dominic Lovett, uh, who was a former Missouri Tiger, now one of Georgia's leading receivers. Uh, on the other side for Georgia, I think it's just that they have to make the most of the possessions. You know, I think. Missouri's weak point is on defense. I think you saw that in that loss to LSU. Probably played three, you know, two and a half, three good quarters in that home game against LSU. Uh, in the fourth quarter, let it slip away. I want to say uh, that Brady Cook had a, an interception or two, kind of allowed LSU to sneak out of there with a win. Uh, I think as long as Georgia takes care of the football and maximizes those possessions, uh, it may be a shootout, but. I feel more confident that Georgia's defense will be able to get stops uh, rather than Missouri being able to slow down the four balls. Well, you will be there covering it in Athens, 2.30 on CBS. Georgia, the number two team in the country, hosting Missouri, ranked at number 12. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Let everybody know where they can find you, find all your coverage and all your excellent work there on the site. Appreciate that, Jacob. Dogs247.com on Twitter at Jordan Davis Hill on Twitter at Dogs247. So, yeah, basketball coverage, football coverage, you name it. Bring it. Uh, it's a busy time of the year, but uh, there's definitely no better time of the year given everything going on. Well, looking forward to having you on the show next week talking basketball and football as crossover season is upon us, Jordan. Thank you so much for your time as always, man. Uh, enjoy covering the game this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds great. That's Jordan Hill of Dogs247. Go check him out at dogs247.com. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, he is the best there is when it comes to covering the Georgia Bulldogs. We'll come back and wrap up hour number one here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. 
wrapping up hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins with you for a couple of more minutes here in this first hour, but don't worry, we have a whole other hour coming up for Rivalry Wednesday. We appreciate Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us on the phone lines as he does every Wednesday. Uh, lots to talk about. We ran long today with him. Um, when we have that much basketball to talk about, it's hard not to talk about it, right? And then, of course, uh, Georgia football, there's a lot going on there as well with an impressive win over Florida last week, coming up to play Missouri this week. And how about that stretch for Georgia in their schedule? You can't look. I know everybody cries about Georgia in their schedule and how it's always weak, which it is. But you cannot argue with the next three games for Georgia on their schedule. Number 12, Missouri. Number 10, Ole Miss. On the road at number 17, Tennessee. That's pretty much as hard as it gets when you look at rankings. And I know it's you look at the name Missouri, but again, like I told Jordan, they're playing some of the best football in the conference. Same thing with Ole Miss. And Tennessee, while they've dropped a couple of games, they should have beaten Alabama. They're still a good team, and that's in Knoxville. So Georgia, if they continue to win then yeah, they have all the all the rights in the world to be a number one team, to uh, pound their chest about strength of schedule down the stretch, and they will have that argument. To this point, hasn't been all that difficult. They've got one ranked game on their schedule when they beat Kentucky 51-13. to But it's about to get difficult for Georgia. And if they win, they'll impress me, they'll impress the playoff committee, and they'll have an SEC championship game to decide where they go in seeding. But This weekend, I really do think it decides the East, man. I really do. Because if Missouri wins this week and they win out, they will go to Atlanta. But if Georgia wins, nobody can really catch them at this point in the SEC East. And Missouri's schedule isn't nearly as difficult as Georgia's. They're on the road in Athens this weekend. Then they're home for Tennessee, home for Florida, and at Arkansas. Tennessee, Florida are tough games, but you're at home if you're Missouri – And then on the road at Arkansas, which doesn't mean anything right now, that's doable for Missouri. If they win this weekend, they will represent the East in Atlanta. You can mark my words. Do they win this weekend? I don't know. That's going to be tough. I'd feel a lot better about it if this was in Columbia, Missouri, rather than being in Athens, Georgia. But man, it's exciting. And with Georgia basketball, are they going to be competitive? Are they going to be good? Are they revived with Mike White? crazy times in Athens right now. We appreciate Jordan for joining us as he does each and every week. Hour number two is coming up. We'll talk some more Auburn basketball, some more Auburn football. We've got to talk about those playoff rankings that were released last night. And then Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Sports Illustrated site for Alabama. He will join us at 3.30 coming out of the bye week as Alabama football prepares for LSU this weekend. All that coming up in hour number two. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 
online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this rivalry Wednesday as we have flipped the calendar to November. It is November 1st, 2023. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio. They sponsor our studio each and every day between 2 and 4 p.m. Be sure you go and check them out over at 800 Main Street in Midtown, just off of Opelika Road. We appreciate them sponsoring our studio each and every day here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of the first hour uh, we started talking some Auburn basketball as they have an exhibition game tonight against AUM Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that if we have time here in hour number two also had some good conversations on Auburn football a couple of good calls about that And then uh, we talked with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, our Georgia beat writer who joins us on the show every single week. He had a lot of things to say about Georgia basketball and Georgia football. So all of that was crammed into our number one. If you missed any of it, you can find the podcast commercial free posted after every show at ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. We're about to get to the phone lines to start hour number two. We'll talk some more basketball, some more football, and then Austin Hannon of Bama Central will join us at 3.30, our Alabama beat writer, to round out Rivalry Wednesday here during On the Line. So let's get to the phone lines. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. And Ed, you're on the line to start hour number two. Hey there, Jacob. How you doing? I'm good, Ed. It's great to hear from you, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. Yes, beautiful day out there. Yes. Uh, I was just going to, uh, on Auburn basketball, I, you know, I'm really, I, I'm I'm very optimistic about mm-hmm. this year. You know, ha- having some guys that are veteran, but, you know, uh, I think Aiden and, the, you know, a few of the transfers, you know, from what the other guys are saying about them. Yeah. And they spent all, they spent all summer just playing, you know, pick up ball, you know, getting used to each other. Mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm really up to, you know, that it's going to be a hard opening game, Baylor, good team, but you know, yeah, you're going to have to play them sometimes. Right. And, and I like a tough non-conference schedule. And I think Bruce Pearl has realized that he's talked about that. And, and there's some tough games mm-hmm. on this non-conference schedule for Auburn. And I'm with you, Ed, I'm very optimistic about this basketball team. Yeah, I am too. And talking about non-conference, I, I'm going to go, uh, I, one of your earlier callers, uh, I, I wanted to agree with him that a lot of uh, the people who listen to y'all and, you know, in this area of whatever, they do look forward to 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock getting here because, you know, before that it's a little it's a little different. Mm-hmm. But uh, Well, I appreciate that, Ed. But, but yeah, but it, uh, it, as far as, like... Just going back to that real quick, okay. That, that the another host and he argued this with me. You know, comes on before you, okay. That Georgia, okay, Georgia. When you're talking about playing tough foes, Georgia was supposed to play Oklahoma. Correct. And Georgia didn't back out of it. You know, the SEC 
it's, it's what I understood. Yeah, yeah. The SEC they they waxed that game because of Texas and Oklahoma coming to the conference already. That was a home and yeah. home that was scheduled with Georgia and Oklahoma, yeah. but they were like, well, these teams are going to be playing each other, so let's just kind of get that out of there, and we'll, they'll play down the road. Yeah, and you know, it's not necessarily Georgia's fault that you know some of the other teams they some of the other ones, but that, that would have made a very respectable schedule. Yeah. It's not their fault that some of the other, you know, things in the East have, are down. But uh, his, his, I mean, he's very adamant about it, is that if Georgia goes undefeated, they still don't deserve to be in the uh, top four to go in the playoffs. He said, Doug said he didn't think they should be in the playoffs. Exactly. He said, exactly. Okay. I, I didn't listen to his show today, so I, I didn't hear that. But it, if. That wasn't, that wasn't today. That was oh, okay. about a, a week ago. Okay. You know? And I, and I, I was like, and he told me, he said, I'm not talking about. I said, Doug, it's going to happen. And he said, I'm not talking about what it's going to happen, but they don't deserve to. You know, I mean, which, number one, that's absurd because, but. Uh, we all know the same thing that if somehow Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC playoff game, he would be the first one saying that now Alabama deserved to be in the playoffs. You know what I mean? And he they just beat a team that didn't deserve to be in there undefeated. So I mean, uh, you see what I say? Yeah, no, I, I, I get. Yeah, I get what you're saying. With, with illogical, you know. Yeah. Uh, and- uh, and you know, I think it. You know, when you compare when you compare Alabama's schedule to Georgia's schedule, year in and year out, any team that plays in the SEC West, which of course that won't be a thing moving forward, but in years past, yeah. teams that play in the SEC West have a harder schedule because of just better teams in the SEC West. That's just how it's been. But if any team goes undefeated or any team has one <laughs> loss out of the SEC, they deserve to be in the conversation at the very end. Hey, he was very adamant and shouting at me that if Georgia went undefeated, they still didn't deserve to be. Well, if, and, if that I is what that was said, good. I would disagree with that. Yeah, well, well I mean, I, I, I think everybody, you know, pretty much would. But I was going to – one other thing I was going to mention to you. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, in, in the old horror movies or something, somebody's just freaking out or, and – and sometimes, you know, a woman or somebody that slaps somebody to get them, you know, to kind of snap out of it. Yeah. And I hate, I hate the, you know, people booing uh, at a game. I hate it. Oh, but Auburn fans? I, yeah. Like what happened at, you know, game before last. Yeah, the know. Ole Miss game. Yeah. And, but do you think that was kind of like somebody slapping? You know, if you freeze and saying, "Hey, something's got to change." Very well, you know? could have been, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, could have been a reality call, a wake-up call, if you will. Yeah, I mean, and whether it was fans booing or whether it was just another close game that Auburn could not win, and and I think some of it had to do with that final drive that Auburn put together, where they figured a few things out offensively. Yeah, I, I definitely yeah. think that played into that, Ed, and maybe it was a little bit of a, a slap to the face and say, "Hey." What we're trying to do is just not working, but we found mm-hmm. some things that have worked, and we got to find a way to win some games. And yeah, I think that definitely had something to do with it. 
yeah, and you've got to show, you know, those recruits that you're recruiting, you know, you want to show them that, hey, we, we're going to, we're trying some things. We're not going to be right. stubborn. And, and, and I agree with you that, you know, about going with Thorn right now, the, the guy that, um, as far as Robbie, mm-hmm. I love him, you, you know, and I hope he stays. Yeah, I think he's got another year maybe uh, at another position or something. I, I think it'd be a great, you know, wide out or something maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. But but anyway, um, I, you know, I think I think he knows what he's doing a lot better than I do. And if he says Thorns, it's, you know, I, I, I like that he's made a decision he's going with it. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that, Ed. Hey, I, I appreciate the call, man. It's great to hear from you as always. Yes, sir. Appreciate the call at 334-321-1390. Let's go ahead and get back to the phone lines, and I believe we have Mark, who is on the line. Mark, you're on, man. What's up? Hey, how you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Great. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Would you uh, would you say right now this season has been a success, average, or disappointment? For Auburn football? Yeah. I would say okay. it is average. I think the season has gone exactly wins and loss wise, right? There's a lot more behind that, but just looking at wins and losses, I think it has gone exactly like it was supposed to. Yes, now I agree with that. But let me ask you this. At the beginning of the season, you know, bowl game and maybe one or two wins above that was gonna be considered by most people a good season. I'd agree with correct? that. Yeah. And competitiveness, yes. with the exception of one game, would you not say that Auburn has competed in every game they play? Now, a couple of them, one of them in particular, I wish it hadn't been as competitive. That being Cal, I wish they'd have went out and did a little bit better there. But every, <laughs> yeah. game, every game they play has been competitive, and that's something that we haven't seen in a couple of years. Yeah, which is which is something I talked about at the beginning of the year, and a lot of Auburn fans talked about that. Was you know we want to see some competitiveness and progress. Don't let Georgia come in here and beat you by twenty one or more, and and don't let Texas A and M run you up and down the field or Ole Miss, and you know LSU obviously did what they did. But yeah, we talked about competitiveness and just being in these games and progress was something we've looked for and that's been the only disappointment I think Mark is is the wins and losses are exactly what was supposed to happen but the fact that Auburn had chances in some of these games and couldn't pull it out and there wasn't a whole lot of change before last week I think that's the only disappointing part of the season so far right and to your previous caller's point I do not think one iota Hugh Freeze is going to make a decision based on the crowd booing. Now, I, I don't agree with booing at a game, but, you know, people pay money. They can do what they want at the game. I think it's, you know, I don't think it's a good look right. to express their disappointment. You know, that's their right. Whatever. I'm not going to do it. But uh, I wish they wouldn't. Yeah, it's not a good look. I don't I don't like it either. And here's the thing with that. I think Hugh Freeze and the coaches and the players, they heard the boos. You better believe it. They heard them. But do I think Hugh Freeze went home that night and laid on his pillow and couldn't go to sleep because he was so concerned with some fans booing him at a game? No, I don't think so. But I guarantee you he at least heard them and I mean he he wants to improve that, obviously. Right. And you know, I'm not even gonna say he when you say heard them, I wouldn't say that he, you know, he's got a headset on and he's talking 
you know, with these other coaches. So who who knows if he heard it? I don't know. But like you said, he didn't make a decision based on that. So my question with you is, let's say we win all the next four, uh, three games mm-hmm. and we compete with Alabama and it goes down to the wire. You know, it's a fourth quarter game, win or lose. Would that be considered a win for the season? I would say so. Yeah, I would say it would be a win. Again, I think there would still be a little disappointment because that would be yet another game that Auburn, not supposed to win, but if you play Alabama down to the wire and you have chances to win and Auburn can't come out on top, me personally, I would be slightly disappointed because you couldn't win, but overall it would still be a success. And the reason I say it that way, Mark, is because at the beginning of the year, I said for it to truly be a successful year, Auburn needed to beat somebody they weren't supposed to, and they've had chances to do that and just haven't been able to get it done. And if that's how the Alabama game goes, again, that would be where my disappointment would lie. But a 7-5 and five year going to a bowl game in year one, no. I mean, that's, that's a victory in itself. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm looking at disappointment. You know, I don't know if that's the word that I would, you know, yeah, you would like to have had it go the other way, but I'm not going to be disappointed in it. I'm right. I mean, let's face it. We've looked, we've lived through the last two years when, you know, outside of the Alabama game, when we could have, would have, should have won that game, mm-hmm. when it was, you know, I, I just, I'm very pleased with what's going on today. Yeah. Now, do I hope? I hope Thorne, you know, in the offensive play calling. I hope Cadillac gives a pregame speech every game. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Wasn't that awesome? All right, have a great afternoon. Appreciate it, too. You too, Mark. I appreciate you calling in. 334-321-1390. An interesting direction that this has gone, and I I want to comment a little bit more on this. And phone lines are still open. Give me a call. Give me your thoughts. 334-321-1390. Looking at the end of the season, and, and I told you yesterday on the show, I told you, Auburn fans, I said, zoom out a little bit, right? Zoom out on this program and on this season and just look at it from a higher point of view. At this point, at 4-4, four and four, the season, somebody said this the other day, the season has gone chalk. It's done exactly what it was supposed to do according to Las Vegas, according to SEC experts or football experts or whatever you want to call it, right? Talking heads like myself. It's gone exactly like it's supposed to. You beat the three teams to start. Didn't look pretty, but you did it. You lost four tough games in the SEC that you were not favored in, and most of those you were double-digit underdogs. And then you turn around and you beat a team that you were favored by almost a touchdown. The same thing needs to happen moving forward. Beating Vanderbilt, beating Arkansas, and beating New Mexico State. Three teams that you will be favored against. Then you get to the Alabama game. It's going to be at home at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Alabama could have a lot to play for, or they could have basically nothing to play for at that point. But you will not be favored in that game. And guess what? You're not supposed to win. But as I told Mark, and as I was telling Ed as well, I think in this season, in year one, beating a team that you're not supposed to, getting that big upset win in year one is such an extra boost and such a kickstart to the start of a new era with a new coach and a new coaching staff 
and new players. It's a kickstart and confidence in the team, a confidence in the program from those within, those outside like you, the fan, and also in the recruiting world as well. Because sure, if the season goes how it's supposed to, and Auburn 7-5, and five, they go to a bowl game, win or lose, whatever, sure, that's a solid first year. And recruits will look at it and say, yeah, that was a solid first year. There's some exciting things going on. Yeah, it, I could see where Hugh Freeze is doing good things. But at this point, because I'm not going to go back, well, I will a little bit. What if Auburn had beaten Georgia? That's a statement in year one. What if Auburn had beaten Ole Miss at home? That's a statement in year one. What if Auburn beats Alabama at the end of the year? That is a statement in year one. That's why I said Auburn, for this first year under Hugh Freeze, to truly be successful, I said beat the teams you're supposed to, be competitive against the ones you're not, and beat somebody that you're not supposed to. Just once. That's all you got to do. And that would, for me, at the beginning of the year, and I still stand by this, that would have all been encompassing for a truly successful year one. Now, if that doesn't happen because there's only one chance left to do that, if Auburn doesn't beat Alabama, yes, I'm going to be upset because it's Alabama, but I'm not just going to cash it in on Hugh Freeze and say, oh, to, to heck with this, this guy sucks, he can't do it, Auburn's doomed because you didn't beat Alabama. No. Seven and five in year one, and all your games except one to this point have been competitive. There's not a whole lot more you can ask for. My situation and my scenario is a perfect scenario for year one. But that's a hard thing to do. That's really hard. You're asking this team, who is not as talented as these other teams, to come out and beat them in a big game. That's a really tough thing to do. And I know that, and I understand that. I have high expectations. I know it's kind of crazy, but I have high expectations. So even if that doesn't happen, this is still a successful season to this point. And I think Auburn fans, most of you see that. I think most of you agree with that. If you don't, let me know. Why? I'm curious. Give me a call. 334-321-1390. I like that conversation. I like where that was heading. That was really fun. When we come back, though, I do want to talk a little playoff rankings as they were released last night we've kind of mentioned it here and there but I want to go into it a little bit deeper uh, especially since Ed brought it up a little bit rankings were released last night we'll talk about that when we come back what are your thoughts on the initial playoff rankings I want to hear from you on that as well 334-321-1390 the Wednesday edition of On the Line continues after this you are on the line on ESPN 1067 Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Let's get back to the phone lines here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. Terry, you're on the line, man. What's up? Hey, Jacob. Uh, Jacob, I'll tell you what else victories over Georgia, Ole Miss, and possibly Alabama would have done. It would have raised expectations. And, and, you know, I don't like losing. Nobody should. Uh, but but that raised expectations. That was Connor Malzahn's problem. He raised expectations his first year. We found he was really a seven and five, eight and four coach. Yeah, that's fair. And then you know, at the end of a year, he he you know once every three years, he'd beat Alabama and, and get excitement up for the off season, and then kind of be disappointing in the next year. You're absolutely right. Well, then also said if if, if Hugh Freeze beats Alabama, and I certainly hope he does, you're going to hear well he's always beat Alabama. What's the big deal? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of maybe people outside would say that. I hope not. Most Auburn fans wouldn't say that. I feel no, like no, Auburn fans would. I don't think. No, I wouldn't either. And and that's no small task. I don't care if he's done it a bunch. That's that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing, and that's a huge honor that he should have and carry with right. him is the fact that he does have success against Nick Saban because there are very very few people that do. Yeah, very few. I mean, you count his losses on one hand, probably. I mean, I don't know. I've never sat and examined his record, but. You heard the, all the arguments when Malzahn beat him in 13 that he was going to be the Superman's kryptonite and he was going to be the guy to run Saban out of Alabama. Not true. Not true at all because it's a decade later and Saban's still there. Yeah, and Auburn's on their so, third head coach. So Yeah, exactly. So that's the point I'm trying to make. You don't want to raise expectations because it just leads to disaster. Yeah, but... If he, if he can recruit the players in and make it better, which is what he's doing, you know, that then... then that's what's going. That's what needs to happen. That's what's going to happen, and I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, and I get that argument. I do. You know, if you beat, especially here's here's the thing: raising expectations early on is not a bad thing if you can back it up down the road, right? That's right. the biggest thing. If Auburn were to have, and again, we're playing my favorite game here, the what if. But if Auburn had beaten Georgia, or if they do beat Alabama, and the excitement carries into the off season, having high expectations isn't a bad thing until you don't back it up, right? If Auburn were to have beaten Georgia and Alabama, or whatever the case may be this year, and then they come back next year and they're another 7-5 and five team, that's where the problem arises, right? That's where people get hurt. And that's just in life in general when you set high expectations and whoever it is doesn't fulfill that, that's where problems arise. So high expectations aren't bad for Auburn. They just have to get better as the years go on to fulfill those expectations, if that yeah, makes yeah. any sense. See, I see it kind of differently because you play Georgia. I think that makes recruits thinking, okay, we see what's coming. They took Georgia off their feet. Yeah. We, we see what's coming. And, and what when Saban got to Alabama, what did he say? It was, this is what's coming. He said this. Like LSU did this year. Yep. In two years. Yep. You know, and that's, that's what happened. You had to recruit the Julio Jones. Now, now Hugh Freeze is doing the same thing. He's going out and getting the recruits and bringing them in. And Auburn's going to look like a different, completely different team in two years. Exactly. And, and I just think one of those wins – this season that beating a team you weren't supposed to would just they, it would have accelerated that so much that's why I said Auburn needed it they don't necessarily need it but a win like that would propel all of those things you just talked about immensely you know, if he can beat Nick Saban in a few weeks guess what hey Nicky boy I'm here yep that's right take care of it take care Jacob appreciate it Terry three three four three two one thirteen ninety got a couple of minutes really really quick uh want to uh, look at the college football playoff rankings that were released last night we got a few minutes before austin hannon of bama central joins us on the phone lines here were the initial rankings last night and we talked about this yesterday and i gave you who my picks would be i would have put florida state at six i'm just going to be honest with you i know most people disagree with that because I think Washington's a better team than them. I think Oregon's a better team than them. I think Michigan, Georgia, and Ohio State, as of right now, are better than Florida State. Will that be the case six weeks from now? I don't know. Probably not. But as of right now, that's how I would have done it. But here's how the playoff rankings came out last night. Here's your top ten. Ole Miss at ten. Oklahoma at nine. Alabama at eight. Texas at seven. Oregon at six. Those are all seven and one teams. You get to the top five. It's Washington at five, Florida State at four, Michigan at three, Georgia at two, and Ohio State at one. 
And I said yesterday I would expect, as most people did, they expected Ohio State to be at the one because of the wins that they have over Notre Dame and Penn State. And I get that. I do. I absolutely get it. And when you compare resumes from all these other teams, Ohio State has one more win than everybody else in a game that matters. Georgia's yet to beat anybody good. Michigan's yet to beat anybody good. Florida State has their win over LSU and a win over Duke, which, eh, whatever. And Washington has the win over Oregon. So you understand where they're coming from with Ohio State at one. Georgia being at two, I'm fine. They've got plenty of chances, three of them to be exact, to prove themselves over the next month. Michigan, they're going to roll until they play Ohio State, so that'll settle itself out. Again, with Florida State, their problem is the ACC is terrible. That's their problem. The ACC is horrible. So all they can do is play the teams on their schedule, and you can't really punish them for that. Washington, Oregon, I think are really, really good teams. They're going to meet each other again in the Pac-12 championship game. Texas is up there. They've got quarterback problems. And Alabama, somehow, someway, they're number eight in the country. They just keep winning. And I have a feeling Austin Hannon can tell us a lot more about that. He will join us from Bama Central when we come back on a Rivalry Wednesday edition of On the Line. Don't go anywhere. We've got 30 more minutes here on the Rivalry Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 1067. I'm Jacob Goins, and joining us on the phone lines, as he does every Wednesday during uh, most of the Alabama sporting seasons, Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Sports Illustrated site for Alabama. He joins us at 3.30 every Wednesday. Austin, great to hear from you, man. I know we took a break with the bye week last week, but great to have you back on the show. Yeah, great to be back. Uh, actually, it was very restful bye week for me, not Good. only Alabama, but for me. Uh, so got to kind of refocus, put the computer away for a couple days, something that I don't really do um, throughout the year very often, but it was great. I'm rested and, you know, fired right back in. You go right back into LSU week, so uh, about as big as it gets this week. Yeah, taking taking rest, putting work away. What's that like, man? Couldn't <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you last time I did that. Yeah, it's great, and you know, I kind of been looking forward to. It. I mean, football season—it's a grind, and mm-hmm. it's not—it's not just for the football team. It's not just for the, you know, the student assistants, the the staff members. It's for the media. It's for everybody that kind of does this on a daily basis. Uh, when everything gets shut down for a week, it, it makes it pretty much easy on everybody. And for the first time all season, I got to wake up at eight a.m. And, and watch college football game day, and then watch the entire schedule of games last Saturday. So I feel educated on the sport of college football, and I feel rested. I'm ready to go this weekend. Awesome, man. Well, before uh, we took a week off with you for the bye week, Alabama got another win on the schedule and hasn't always been the prettiest of games. But, man, as I said before, you just came on the air. 
Alabama just continues to find ways to win, and that's what they did a couple of weeks ago against Tennessee, 34-20, to uh, another big win for Alabama in a game that Tennessee jumped all over the Crimson Tide early, seemed like they may just run away with it and not let Alabama compete, and man, Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide came roaring back in the second half to defeat Tennessee 34-20. to Yeah, I mean, the first half felt like the second half of that Texas game back in September where it is silent at Brandon Stadium. Tennessee's up 20-7. to uh, You have that awful exchange at the end of the half where Alabama's down 13-7, to but they're in the red zone. Looks like they're about to take the lead right before half, which was already a bad first half. And then Tennessee, of course, gets the deflected interception in the end zone that bounced off the shoulder pad face mask of Jermaine Burden when he was trying to find the ball in the sun. It goes the other way. Tennessee puts together a quick drive like they're very, very good at doing. Uh, and they take a 20-7 to lead in the halftime. And I think at that moment, it was kind of like, well, uh, this season might just be over. Like, this is – this is we're, we're feeling this feeling again where, oh, is Alabama going to lose LSU at this point? What, what, what else is going to go wrong? Um, and then out of nowhere, like we've continued to see all year, this team turns it on to a completely different level um, and just wipes Tennessee away in the second half. I, I think it was just as much about Tennessee melting down as it was about Alabama stepping up to the challenge. Um, I mean, just complete domination on both all three phases of the game uh, in that final 30 minutes of action. So uh, Tennessee obviously found answers last week, went on the road and got a win at Kentucky. So uh, I'm sure they're feeling pretty good about themselves again now. But uh, it was a, it was a disaster of a second half for the Volunteers and something that they've kind of you know had to get accustomed to all too well over these last few years. I mean, especially on the road, we saw it in Gainesville earlier in the year, and similar things happened the second half in Tuscaloosa. Well, you bring you brought it up, and I want to to go back to that. That was the conversation coming out of this Alabama Tennessee game. Was man, Tennessee just fell apart. I mean, Tennessee blew it to to be completely honest. But in your opinion, was it more of Tennessee crumbling and letting a talented Alabama team come back and win, or was it Alabama buckling down on defense and finding it out offensively in that second half and just coming back and winning the game? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of everything. Um, there was a lot of hype around the game, and maybe you know Alabama didn't come out ready to go, and Tennessee played a great first half. I thought they had a great offensive script in the first half with Josh Heupel. Uh, they, I mean, they were doing everything right with Joe Milton. It looked like he was the quarterback that they kind of imagined he would be all year, uh, You know, completing short passes, using his legs a little bit, uh, and, and running that up-tempo offense that we saw Hendon Hooker do so well with last year. And then the second half, it was just a completely different showing. I mean, Alabama came out. It, they just looked like a different team. It looked like a different mindset. Right. Uh, they looked hungry. They, they were physical. They were getting after the quarterback. Uh, and Tennessee had no answer. I mean, in the second half, Tennessee couldn't even run the ball, which is something that they've done, you know, up there with the best teams in the country at this year. And they, they had no answer uh, for Jihad Campbell, for Chris Braswell, Dallas Turner, uh, Deontay Lawson, all those linebackers and, and, and front seven guys that Alabama has that continue to get better each week. And they, they played without a starting middle linebacker as well. Uh, the Tresman Marshall, the Georgia transfer, was out for the game, and that gave Jihad Campbell another opportunity. And he, he won, I believe, the Ben Eric, the Defensive Player of the Week award uh, after after that performance. And he had the, obviously the scoop and score at the end of the game. Uh, so just, I thought Alabama came out really hungry and aggressive and physical, and uh, Tennessee kind of just shied away and, and didn't bring it to a game in the second half. 
Well, Alabama does beat Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. Uh, They continue to string together some wins uh, with Texas A&M, Arkansas, and then Tennessee. And, of course, the big one coming up this Saturday night there in Bryant-Denny. We're going to talk about that game with Alabama and LSU coming up in just a minute. But, Austin, the uh, playoff rankings, the first one of the year, came out yesterday, came out last night. And uh, Alabama is right there in the mix at number eight at 7-1 and so far this season. And is that a fair spot for the Crimson Tide to be at this point in the season? Absolutely. I actually, you know, kind of in some of my personal circles, spent my top eight last night uh, after they released it. And um, I, I think Alabama, I think that's right where they should be. Um, if you think about all the teams that are in front of them, I think it's all deserving. Obviously, the top five with Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, they're all undefeated. They have the right to be in the top five. Um, I think Oregon's looked like a really, really, really good football team down the stretch here other than that loss at Washington, which they were right there in, in, in the thick of it to win the game. And they missed, obviously, that close field goal that uh, ended up losing the game for them. But they, they showed that they could compete in Seattle. And I think that if that game was played again on a neutral field, Oregon would win it. So um, I think that's a fair assessment to put Oregon at six. And then, obviously, the Longhorns are sitting at seven. You can't really argue that. I think if you based it off of who has looked better or has shown more potential, a higher ceiling since that matchup on September 9th. I think you could argue Alabama, but I mean, numbers don't lie, facts don't lie, and, and Texas came to, came to Alabama and got the W. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't really say anything about that either. Uh, and I think it was fair to put Alabama over Oklahoma. I mean, if you want to say they have the same exact record, Alabama's obviously undefeated in conference play. Oklahoma just lost that game at Kansas. So, um, to give Alabama the benefit of the doubt, I think it's the right move, especially after what we saw against Tennessee. Yeah, I feel like with the with the Oklahoma Alabama thing there, if Oklahoma had lost that game maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe they could have put Oklahoma above Alabama. But I feel like with a, such a fresh loss with Kansas in just this past weekend, I feel like that's why the committee was like, "All right, we'll put Alabama there for now." And here's the thing with Alabama. They have room to grow, and they're pretty much their destiny's in their own hands at this point, Austin, and that includes the game this weekend against LSU. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And, you know, it, it seems like all the time this is what it comes down to in the SEC West. I mean, you're about the same age as me. Uh, our whole lives, what has the SEC West championship been? It's always been uh, this first Saturday in November with Alabama and LSU, no matter if it's in Baton Rouge and Tuscaloosa. Uh, and for the majority of the time I've been following college football, Alabama's found a way to win the game. But obviously there's been a couple of pickups in there. When you think about the game of the century in 2011, uh, the 9-6 game, of course, and you think about Joe Burrow coming to Bryant-Denny Stadium and winning back in 2019 mm-hmm. uh, when they ended up, ended up winning the national championship. So, um, And obviously, I think this game's really similar to last year. Um, and, and records-wise, it's the exact same. It's a one-loss Alabama against a two-loss LSU, uh, but it's a two-loss LSU that lost to Florida State and has control of its own destiny in the SEC and, and really in the national picture as well. I know it's, it's kind of crowded up top there, but um, let's not act like LSU's not still in the hunt to, to maybe even sneak into the college football playoff uh, and be the first team with two losses to ever do it just because of the opportunities that they have in front of them. And then the fact that uh, that Florida State loss was so long ago and then that Ole Miss loss was in such a crazy fashion that you know anybody could have won that game. And if, if you account for the fact that LSU can go to Bryant-Denny Stadium and get a win and then beat a team that's won 25 straight games um, in Atlanta in a few weeks, and I think that resume would stack up with the best of them. So, um, LSU's no, nowhere out of the hunt. Uh, it's the same situation we saw last year. And um, after they beat Alabama last year, people were totally in on you know putting them back in the conversation until they ended up losing uh, a couple more down the stretch. And 
uh, things didn't work out. But they, they kind of get a redo at it here, and Brian Kelly is in a very similar situation, and I'm sure that uh, they're, they're fired up and ready to go and bring those guys to Tuscaloosa this week. Well, it's a night game in Tuscaloosa, 6.45 on CBS. I love this game being at night. Uh, it typically is when CBS has their their pick, and it's one of their few night games that they have uh, here on the tail end of their SEC contract. This LSU offense, man, we know Jaden Daniels. He can pretty much put up as many points as he wants to, but Alabama coming off of that impressive second half performance defensively against Tennessee and that's really been the strong point while the offense has gotten going for Alabama where where are the matchups that you have your eye on Austin for this game with Alabama and LSU because look let's just be real Alabama can't get in a shootout with LSU and Jaden Daniels because they're gonna lose if that happens yeah I agree Uh, I think there's a couple things here that are kind of standing out to me at first obviously everybody's talking about LSU's offense um, and how great it is, and it's great, and they're they're going to score points, and um, they're going to make this thing interesting. I, I'm pretty sure of it. Uh, I, I I I understand that, you know, there's hope in the Alabama fan base that maybe it's kind of an Ole Miss situation, and uh, you know the Rebels came to town, and they've got they've still got a great offense, and they've still got one loss, and they're number ten in the country, and they only put up ten points on this Alabama defense at Brian Denny. So um, I think there's a little bit of hope that that's there, but at the same time, you know what kind of quarterback you're dealing with, and I, and I think most fans kind of understand that that was a bad day for Ole Miss when they came to town and uh, things just weren't going right for Jackson Dart and if, if he wasn't playing well then they weren't going to really have a chance because at the end of the day that is always going to be the key to beating Alabama especially on the road is your quarterback's got to play out of his mind mm-hmm. and if he's if he's a special player he's got to play special and if he's a guy that's maybe an average Joe I mean we've seen that in the past with uh, a couple quarterbacks that have beaten Alabama in the past that he's got they're gonna have to play way above their their pay grade if you will you know they, they've got to do something special um, you've got to be able to run the ball a little bit, and you've got to be able to run the ball a little bit with your quarterback, and that's exactly where LSU targeted Alabama last year. Uh, Jay Daniels had almost 100 rushing yards in that game last year. He was the leading rusher for LSU in the game. Uh, I think he totaled 18 carries, which is crazy, uh, a crazy number for a quarterback, especially one that can throw the ball and will throw the ball, and that's another thing that he's gotten a lot better at this year. And Jay Daniels had a lot of questions last year, um, especially at the beginning of the season, about his ability to throw the ball. It was it was kind of a similar, you know, argument to the Jalen Milrow stuff before he's kind of started to put things together too, where it was nobody really respected Jane Daniels, you know, in the throwing game. And then I think that game against Alabama last year kind of flipped everybody's mind and it was like, okay, this guy is pretty good. And, you know, now you look up and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So um, I, the other question mark for LSU is obviously the defense is a big issue right now. They've got injuries um, that are just piling up and they've got three starters that are going to miss the game on Saturday. Um, and on the opposite side, you know, I'm going to put an injury report out later, but things are looking pretty good for Alabama in the injury department, which is not something you always say uh, this late into the season. But I think the bye week really did numbers for this Alabama team. Um, and, and it's looking like they're going to have everybody that they want to have available available for the game Saturday night. And LSU can't say the same thing. So there's a couple things that are kind of stacking up against each other. I think this Alabama offense is going to have a good chance to move the ball a lot uh, on Saturday night. We've seen just about every team that LSU's played put up points, put up yards. And I think with all those injuries, it's going to be one of those kind of nights where if LSU can't stop Jalen Milrow throwing the ball down the field, it could be a long night for their defense. And I think that this Alabama defense is so good that they could probably get, you know, enough stops. You know, you're not just going to stop Jalen Daniels, but if you can stop him a couple more times than the LSU defense can do to you, uh, you're usually going to win the football game. So it's stacking up to be a great game. And um, I think it could go a different number of ways, but uh, I think those are probably the keys. And there's there's always 
so many big names that play in the game like this between Alabama and LSU. There's always massive implications when these two teams get together. And you mentioned it already how a lot of times the SEC West comes down to a game like this. And while LSU, if things fall in their way, they could maybe make it to Atlanta. But Alabama is very much alive to get to Atlanta and still looking for a college football playoff berth. This is a must win for Alabama and LSU can knock them out of the West race and put Ole Miss in the driver's seat, Austin, which that just is a little uncomfortable to say. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that, about, hey, look about, you know, look out for Ole Miss. And, you know, everybody seems to forget that Ole Miss still has a trip to Athens on the schedule. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. Are kind of just assuming that that's going to not be a loss, which, let's be honest, they're probably not going to win that game. Uh, you know, and, and, it, and now even more so, we can probably say that with seeing how Georgia played against Florida without Brock Bowers last week. I mean, it didn't really look like there was any missteps. Maybe that was Florida just not playing a good game, but um, Georgia looked like they're pretty much strong as ever. So that's going to be a hard game for Ole Miss. And um, so I I really do think that this game is still going to decide it. I think that the schedule for both these teams um, line up pretty nicely. And if Alabama wins this game, it's just about over just because they do have that head-to-head win over Ole Miss. And then they would also have a head-to-head victory over LSU, which those are the only teams really remaining in this race. So, um, I think this game, for all intents and purposes, is going to end up still deciding the SEC West uh, because of what Ole Miss is going to have to do here in a couple of weeks. Austin Hannon of Bama Central joins us every Wednesday for Rivalry Wednesday here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. Uh, really quickly before we let you go, basketball season, man, it's here. Uh, exhibition games for for Alabama. They had one uh, against Wake Forest on Sunday and fell 88-80. to uh, And then they've got their season opener coming up on Monday, man. What do you think about the Crimson Tide on the basketball floor? Yeah, it should be pretty exciting. I mean, I'm always – looking forward to the new college basketball season. Um, I, I love covering basketball and, you know, as soon as football kind of ends and wraps up, I, I really do get into it. And um, I, I think they got a good chance of being a good team this year. You know, the SEC has them uh, slated as the number five team in the preseason, which they were last year. And they end up winning, of course, the SEC championship and regular season and tournament. So uh, the expectations are high and that's going to be kind of a thing that NATO in this program is going to have to get used to year in, year out because of the success that they've already had. Uh, but you return some guys like Mark Sears and, um, you know, you're bringing in guys like, you know, Grant Nelson from North Dakota State, who's a great basketball player. And it's looking like he's kind of going to be the focal point of this offense this year. So um, there's new faces. There's a lot of guys that you don't have that were on that team, those, that team last year. Uh, you think about Javon Quinterly and Brandon Miller and Noah Clowney and Charles Bediaco and all the really guys that were the huge contributors are no longer on the team. But I think they replaced them really well. And not just that, but I think some of the younger guys that, maybe didn't play as much last year. I've kind of um, gotten another year into the system. They're going to grow into a different role. So uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to for Alabama basketball, and uh, I can't wait to be back in Coleman Coliseum on Monday night. Well, it is here. It's crossover season. It's a lot of fun as you cover Alabama for Bama Central. Austin Hannon, tell everybody where they can find you, find all your great coverage, and what you guys got coming up with a huge game at Bryant-Denny Stadium this weekend. Yeah, me and all, all my people will be over on BamaCentral.com. You can read all kinds of stuff. Uh, we cover just about every angle of the game. We get about four or five people in the press box each weekend and uh, try to cover everything as best as possible. So definitely follow along there. And then if you want to uh, keep up with me on the Twitter you know, thing, X thing, uh, you can go AustinHand underscore and you can find all my work there as well. Awesome, man. We're looking forward to talking with you next week on Wednesday. We'll recap Alabama LSU. And from here on out for the next few weeks, we're talking football and basketball with the Alabama Crimson Tide, man. We're looking forward to it.
Sounds great. Have a good one. Thanks, Austin. That is Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Sports Illustrated site for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Go check them out. They do fantastic work, and you can get all your great information for Alabama athletics at BamaCentral.com. We'll take our final break, come back, and wrap it up here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All right, winding down here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line on a rivalry Wednesday as we have turned the calendar into November. We appreciate Austin Hannon of Bama Central, who we just got off the phone with, and Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 back in hour number one. Both of them uh, joining me on uh, each and every Wednesday here on the show. We do appreciate them giving us all the insight on Georgia athletics and Alabama athletics on Rivalry Wednesday. So we appreciate them. Been a great show today. Uh, Lots of conversation, different topics uh, with Auburn football. We've talked a little Auburn basketball. I'll hit on that one more time on the way out in just a second. Uh, Talked with both of those guys uh, about Georgia and Alabama. Talked some playoff rankings as well that got released last night. Really, really good show today. If you missed any of it and want to go back and catch up, you can find the podcast at ESPNAU.com or you can just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. It's posted commercial free after each and every show, so be sure you go and find that. And speaking of basketball, Auburn has an exhibition game tonight over at Neville Arena taking on AUM. That's Auburn University Montgomery, 7 o'clock in Neville Arena. And I'm excited folks i mean if you've heard me talk about this team i was telling uh michaela our producer during the break i'm setting myself up to be disappointed i really am because i'm really really high on this team the talent is there between the guys returning the transfer portal additions and your freshmen that are coming in i mean this team is really really talented how long will it take them to put it all together i don't know we're gonna have to wait and see and with a pretty tough non-con schedule of Baylor, Notre Dame, uh, a possibility of Oklahoma State, uh, Virginia Tech, Indiana, USC, that's some tough games. And it may take them a little bit to get going, but man, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about the exhibition tomorrow on the show. I'll be there tonight at the arena. Don't take it all so serious it's an exhibition game you're supposed to play around a little bit and see what we got i'm excited about it we'll talk about that tomorrow and thursdays are busy around here you know that we're gonna have brad law from the auburn sports network head coach keith etheridd from auburn high school football and chris gordy host of the locked on sec podcast busy busy show tomorrow be sure you come back two to four right here on espn 1067 until tomorrow stay safe i'll talk to you later